right. I want to welcome you to Mount Olive Church. So glad you joined us today. What a wonderful day of celebration we've been having already. Um, before we ju- jump into the message, I just want to, I think we have to celebrate something else this week. Uh, it was uh, this past week that Dallas and Karen Dirksen, who are part of our church, um, had a head-on car crash just west of Three Hills. And mir- miracle... They both walked out with scratches and bruises and obviously um, terrified, but um, God totally protected them. And so I think we just should thank the Lord for that. God's mercy is new every morning and in this particular day, uh, he had decided to extend his mercy by protecting them from physical harm. And uh, uh, Dallas is a, an elder here at the church, and actually, um, they're doing so well, or well enough, that Karen's actually running the video camera today. And so if you're watching online, she's the one behind the camera that's making this all possible, and Dallas is running the video switcher, so they're making it all possible. So I just think that's, that's amazing. They are quite sore, so I did challenge them this morning to a sit-up competition to see, um, this might be the only chance I get to win, but uh, bad joke, I know. So... We want to thank the Lord for His grace and just, yeah, for their family, on their family. Well, we've been in a series entitled, Simon Says, Who Are You Following? Looking at what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, it was a number of years ago, about 16 and a half, 17 years ago, I was wrestling through a massive decision in my life. Uh, It had to do with, should I marry Mandy? And so I was weighing the pros and cons, and in that, there's a lot of things you kind of have to look at before you decide, am I going to get married? And uh, one of the things I was wrestling, one of the questions I was wrestling with in making this decision was this, do I really want to spend the rest of my life giving a small fortune to Starbucks? That was something I had to wrestle with. It was real real stuff, right? Uh, But there was other things too. I mean, do I want to split... My time, my energy, my finances? Do I want to share my vision for the future? Because now it's her vision and she may not want my vision and I'm going to have to give some things up. There's sacrifice involved. And I thought, you know, before I got married, I'm like, I'm not that selfish of a guy. And then I got married and I'm like, I'm a really selfish guy right? Because like half the stuff is, I got to go her way at least, right? Or like more if I'm a good husband, right? So it's like, I'm a pretty selfish guy. And then we had a kid and I'm like, I'm selfish all over again. Then we had three more kids and now we have four kids. And I'm not going to tell you how that happened. That's a different series in the, but it, it, it's like every step along the way, it's like, I got to share more. I got to give more. I got to extend more. And, and here's the interesting thing. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would do it all over again. And I love my wife. In fact, I do it a million times over again. I have the best wife. I'm sorry, guys. I just, I just think I have the best wife. And I love my kids. And it's so awesome being a father of the four kids that I have. But here's what we see. That the important things and the valuable things in life tend to cost, don't they? That although it costs me a lot, I would say I'd go do it all over again because it is so worth it. So worth it. But it did cost me 
a lot. And this is true. If there is something that you're chasing that you think is valuable, maybe it's a career, maybe it's a marriage or a relationship. If you're chasing it and it's valuable to you, at some point, it's going to cost you something, money, time, energy, a sacrifice of yourself. And here's the interesting thing. Following Jesus is the same. That as we come to follow Jesus, he invites us in, but he's not inviting us into something trivial or worthless. It's so valuable and it's so worth it, but it's going to cost something. And as we continue our series, we're going to look at the calling of Peter. And in the story of the calling of Peter, there are some general kind of sacrifices. There's general surrenders in the journey of following Jesus. And in this story, we're going to see four kind of uh, very general, but oft, uh, very often these, these are part of our journey of following Jesus. They are common surrenders and common sacrifices for all of us in following Jesus. Now, I want to say a couple things. You're going to face a temptation today. I'm going to pre-warn you on a temptation you're going to face. The temptation you're going to face is this. Oh, so those are like different steps in following Jesus? Well, I think I'm like a level three, but the person beside me is only like a level two. And you're going to be tempted to compare and then get prideful. And I want to tell you, don't do it. This isn't about comparison. In fact, uh, I'll say this again later, but Jesus is less concerned about where you are in the process or in the journey of following him. And he's more concerned about, are you willing to take the next step? He is less concerned as to where you are at than are you willing to take the next step? Because as a follower of Jesus, it implies movement. And when you get stagnant or start going backwards or stop following, that's what he's concerned with. So my goal in uh, kind of defining some uh, common steps in following Jesus is not that we become a church that compares and contrasts and says, well, I'm, at least I'm better than 75% of the church here. No. Are you taking the next step that Jesus would be calling you into? So that's a temptation you're going to face, okay? So just don't fall for it. The other thing, and I know this is true, the journey of following Jesus, spiritual formation or discipleship is not linear. It's not like step one, two, three, four, graduated, done, like going to college, okay? Following Jesus is just kind of all over the map. And so although it's going to be step one, two, three, four, and the story is linear, undoubtedly, as you see these common steps, you'll be like, man, I'm, I'm actually following Jesus in, in that surrender number three, but number two, maybe I need to go back and revisit that, okay? So just as you process this. As I said, we're going to see these common surrenders and sacrifices through the calling of Peter. Now, if you've been with us, you know, probably like a month ago at the beginning of the series, we looked at a story in the Gospel of John where it talks about Jesus, uh, Peter coming to follow Jesus. You might remember Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist and he met Jesus and he's like, I got to tell my brother Simon Peter. And he tells Simon Peter and Peter and Andrew tell Philip and Philip tells Nathaniel. And you remember that story. Well, Luke in his gospel goes into greater detail as the to show us the journey of how Peter came to follow Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter five, starting in verse one. If you have your Bibles, turn there. It starts this way. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. So here you have a picture. Jesus standing on the beach, the lake behind him, the crowds up on the hillside, listening in. And here you see the very first step. And this is a common first step for all of us when we come to follow Jesus. And it is listening to or hearing 
the word of God. Step one is listening to the word of God. At some point, when you started in the faith, somebody told you about Jesus, somebody read some scripture to you, maybe you showed up in church and heard a message, or you uh, listened to a podcast, or, or maybe someone just said, here's a Bible, you should read it. But somewhere along the way, your faith started undoubtedly by simply listening to, hearing the word of God. Someone shared it with you. And in some ways, this is all of our starting points. And it's a great starting point, right? It's, it's actually kind of a commitment-free, cost-free starting point to following Jesus, right? It doesn't really cost you anything. In fact, it, it, this is kind of the come and see uh, that we did a few weeks ago as we come to follow Jesus. It's like you don't even have to believe it. You don't have to change your life. You can just kind of come and see. You can just kind of come and listen. It's cost-free, commitment-free. It's our starting point. And it's an important starting point. But guess what? It's also dangerous. Because this is to be a start to other steps. But if we start to camp out here, it's a dangerous place to be. And we see this in the story of the crowds. If you were to read on in the Gospel of Luke and follow the journey of the crowds, the crowds continued to follow Jesus. And they didn't commit anything. And they never sacrificed anything more than a little bit of time and saying, we're just going to listen. And it was dangerous because at one point, and as Jesus continued, at some points, he started teaching a message that was hard for them to hear. And guess what they did? They abandoned Jesus. And then when Jesus stopped healing them and feeding them. And they found out he wasn't going to destroy the Roman Empire, which they had hoped he had come to destroy. The same crowd that was crowding around Jesus to listen to him. The very same crowd, under the influence of the religious leaders, turned on Jesus and had him crucified. And so though, though this is an important first step, it's a dangerous step if we camp out here. Because this is a stage that we are typically fairly egocentric. We have this mentality in, a, in this first step of following Jesus. It's usually this, Jesus, what's in it for me? And what have you done for me lately? Jesus, what's in it for me? And what have you done for me lately? And this is an important first step. It's kind of like when you're born, all kids are born egocentric, right? We kind of expect it. But if your kid, if your teenager camps out in egocentric, being egocentric, as a parent, you get frustrated, right? You're like, grow up. The world is bigger than just you. And this is true of our journey of following Jesus. And we see this in the crowds, right? They kept their, what's in it for me? And what have you done for me lately? And when Jesus stopped doing it for them lately, and he wasn't doing what he, they had hoped he would do, they abandoned him and the teaching got hard and they abandoned him. You know, in many ways, I think this first step is kind of what we're doing today, isn't it? Sunday morning church. You can come, you sit in nice chairs, we provide church coffee, which is, you know, neither here nor there. And it doesn't cost you a whole lot. You don't have to believe any word I say. You can go home and not do anything God's spirit or God's word is asking you to do. It's pretty much cost-free, commitment-free. It's an important step. And if you're kind of just kind of on the front end of faith, and you're like, I'm coming to church. I want to invite you. Keep coming to church. Keep diving into the word of God. But if you've been coming to church for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and never taken a next step, 
I want to tell you, your faith is probably fairly fickle. And you need to be challenged today. I'm, I'm warming a pew, but there's more to following Jesus. And am I willing to take a next step to following Jesus? Well, there's more steps. And so we have this, this picture of the crowds crowding around Jesus, listening in. Commitment-free, cost-free, but they're interested. And the commitment heightens. He, that's Jesus, saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So here's Simon Peter. He's one of the crowd. Commitment-free, cost-free. Jesus is on the beach. He happens to be cleaning his nets. And suddenly something changes. And Peter is called out from the rest of the crowd to something more, isn't he? The rest of the crowd simply still has to listen. But Jesus asked Peter to give him something a little more, to commit a little something more, to sacrifice a little something more. He asked him to give him what belonged to him. And this is a common step that we learn as we follow Jesus. And that is to surrender what you own. And this is a bit more commitment, right? Now I'm not just, not just showing up in church. Now Jesus is saying there's some things that you own that you've been having your hands tightly grasped around. And I want you to open your hands and surrender some of what you own to me. In some ways, it's, it's not real personal yet. All right, it's like, well, it's just stuff I own. It's not like this is affecting me personally. It's just stuff I own. But it is a, a higher level, a deeper level of commitment, isn't it? In some ways, if we go back to the church analogy, Maybe for some of you being shown up in church. And step two, this next step of following Jesus, it's, it's the offering plate. And you've been showing up and you're listening, but you haven't given Jesus what's his. And maybe for you, that's a next step. It's like there's some ministries and diving into the mission of Jesus saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna support that financially. Give into your local church. Maybe there's a missionary that you're, you, you feel God tapping on your heart to support. It's like, am I willing to surrender what I own? I'll tell you, for, for me, this one's a challenge, particularly in one area. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, um, before we had kids, Mandy and I bought an eight-seater vehicle. It's just the two of us. She liked distance for me, I guess. I'm not sure... Um, no, but we were in youth ministry and there was often a need for the youth to use vehicles for different events and so on. So we're like, let's just buy an eight-seater, you know, vehicle um, or have one. And we still have an eight-seater vehicle and, and often it would get used by, you know, junior or senior high students. Now, I'm a pretty particular guy when it comes to cleanliness. And I learned something in those early days. Junior high kids are not as particular about cleanliness in other people's vehicles than I am about my vehicle. Okay, and it always happened. It was like it would rain the night before, so it's muddy. It's not the kid's fault, right? It's just like mud everywhere. And it was like this, you know, it sounds kind of silly, right? It's like, come on, it's just your stuff. But it was a wrestle for me. It's like, am I willing to give up my stuff? And we bought the vehicle and we had the vehicle because we knew Jesus, he owns everything and we wanted to use it. But then it's like the nitty gritty kind of daily life stuff. And it's like, ah, am I willing to surrender this? What is it that Jesus may be asking you? to surrender of your stuff, to hold it with an open hand, declaring again, it all comes from you, God. So I'm gonna willingly give it up.
What might he be asking you to step into? To stop saying, what's just in it for me? And what have you done for me lately, God? But what is it that I can give to you? It's another step. It's part of our growing up and following Jesus. There's uh, more steps. And as the story continues, when he, that's Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. (laughs) To which Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And there's kind of two things you see in this. I mean, first of all, Simon Peter answers a master. The word master, he's acknowledging, Jesus, you have a certain level of authority. There's a certain level of authority, Jesus, that you have. And undoubtedly, I mean, he's been in the crowd listening to the teaching of Jesus. He's like, this guy's teaching like God's word. I mean, this is, he's a good teacher. There's authority in this man's teaching. Also, if you read the gospel of Luke, he's also undoubtedly witnessed some of the miracles of Jesus. And apparently just the chapter before in chapter four, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And I don't know if Peter was happy about that or mad about that, but he had witnessed a healing. And so undoubtedly he's like, master, right? Master, you have a certain level of authority. I'll give you that. But then you can see the pushback in Peter too, right? And in essence, he says, we've worked hard all night. And we haven't caught anything. And guess what I do for a living, master? I'm a fisherman. I'm a professional fisherman. I'm good at what I do. And every good fisherman knows it's the best time to fish is in the night, not in the middle of the afternoon. If we didn't catch anything at night, what are the chances we're going to catch something in the middle of the afternoon? You can almost hear Peter saying this. Hey, Jesus, like I'm good at what I do and you're good at what you do. Why don't you stick to what you do? And I'll stick to what I do, right? Master, okay, you got some authority, but I have some authority too, right? Like I'm good at this. So you stay in your corner and I'll stay in mine. This doesn't make logical sense. I love Peter's response. And this shows us the next step. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I think this is ludicrous. And my professional opinion says, this is not logical, but I will submit my will to yours. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, I will put myself under what you're calling me to do. That's a big step. And that starts to cost us something, doesn't it? See, a third step is allow Jesus to intrude and inconvenience your time and your energy. And stuff you can replace, but energy once used, you don't get it back. And time once spent does not come back. This is getting very personal now, isn't it? And I'm going to allow Jesus to intrude. I'm going to put my will below his will, even when it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense, but because you say so, because you say so, master, you have some authority. I disagree, but I'll put myself under your authority. So allowing Jesus to intrude and inconvenience our time is a challenge. Here's some of the ways I've experienced this challenge. Maybe you can relate to some of them. 
you know, Jesus, I'm in a really busy season right now. I don't really have time to spend my mornings reading your word and praying. And Jesus is like, would you put me first? Would you start your day with me? Would you let me be central in your life? But that's going to intrude my space. Jesus, I don't know that that person, I know maybe you want me to listen to their story again, but their problems never seem to go away. And I don't know if I have the capacity right now to carry their burden with them. This is kind of getting in the way of my convenience. (laughs) Yeah, serving you, I, I served you for a while, but I got four kids now. We're really busy. I don't know if I have, I don't have the time to serve you with the giftings you've given me. Because that would be an inconvenience. It would intrude my space. I don't know what it looks like for you, but along the way, Jesus is going to ask some things for you and you're going to kind of map it out and you'll be like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know if I can say yes. And in that moment, he's going to ask you, would you say yes anyways? Would you submit your will to the will of your master? It's a tough step. There's more. We see another step as we continue to read the story. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I mean, Jesus did an absolute miracle. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Two boats. They couldn't catch anything at night. In the middle of the day when it didn't make logical sense, Jesus said, I can provide the fish. Stop going your own way. And we'd expect Peter to turn around and say, this is amazing. I'm going to be rich. Jesus, we're going to do, we're business partners, right? Like we're going to do this together. But Peter does not respond that way. Because in this, something was revealed. When Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And we see something change in Peter, don't we? See, the first time he talked to Jesus, he called him what? Master. Master says, you have a certain level of authority. Lord is a whole new level of authority. Lord is a term you use for God. God is the Lord God. And in this moment, Peter suddenly came face to face with the divine human being, Jesus, the God man. And he realized you are perfect. And in the perfection of Jesus, guess what became very clear to him? His own shortcomings. And he realized, Jesus, I have no right to be in your presence. You should leave me now. And undoubtedly in the process of coming to Jesus, at some point, if you have not yet, you will come to a point where you say, Jesus, I do not have the right to be in your presence. You are good and perfect. And my sinfulness has just become so big and clear to me, away from me. And why did he respond this way? And we're told, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then I love Jesus' response. This is so grace-filled and amazing. In the moment where Peter says, I don't deserve, I have no right to be in your presence, Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. From now on, you're going to fish for others. And I think this is so grace-filled because Jesus starts by saying, don't be afraid. In essence, he says, Peter, you're right. You don't have the right 
to be in my presence. You are a sinful man. Jesus does not try to console him and say, well, you didn't, you're not that bad. I mean, there's some other guys that are really bad. Judas Iscariot's going to be a bad guy, you know? Mm-mm. He acknowledges, you're right. But then he says, don't be afraid. Because although you do not have the right to be in my presence, I'm going to provide you so that you have the right to your heavenly father through me. I'm going to go to the cross for the sin you just acknowledged in you. And I'm going to pay your debt on your behalf. And then in an even greater moment of grace, he's not like, okay, I paid your debt, but you're still a bad sinner. He says, now come and join me. You get to be partners with me in the mission that I'm about See, you are gonna build this entire business and you had your plans in place and you had your vision in place and you are gonna build a career, but now it's all changed because the mission of your life changes when you come in contact with Jesus. And you used to be all about the catch so that you could have the money for your business. But now you're gonna be all about the catch so that you can build my kingdom. And when we get to this point in our journey of following Jesus, at some point Jesus says, I want you, I want all of you, including your mission, your vision, your purpose, and your future. It's gonna revolve around me and my mission and my vision and my purpose for this world for the future. See, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And as we start to follow Jesus, we start becoming about seeking and saving the lost as well. And so they pulled up their boats on the shore and they left everything. This was total surrender of mission and vision and future. They said, Jesus, it's all yours. We're gonna be about seeing people become devoted followers of Jesus. You know, for some of us, before we met Jesus, we were all about the farm. We were gonna build an awesome farm and our life dream was the farm. For some of us, it was, oh, we're gonna build this career. We're gonna, we're gonna climb the ladder. For some of us, it was like, we're gonna have a family. That's the mission, the vision, the goal of my life. And somewhere along the way, Jesus said, no, that's gonna be a career, but it's not why you live. It's not gonna be what drives you and what wakes you up in the morning. You're gonna be involved in sports, but sport is not the end goal. You're gonna be involved in scholastics, but that's not the end goal. You're gonna have a career, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is my mission. And suddenly your career and your farm and your, your sports and all that you do starts being seen through a lens of how can I seek and save? How can I be someone who makes disciples, who makes disciples? We stop living for ourselves and we start thinking about others. And then as we continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus, we start to become parents of the faith where we disciple those who need to follow Jesus as well. See, step four is realize who is who. Jesus is Jesus and I'm not. And then surrender everything and follow him, meaning do what Jesus did and that's make disciples. And some of you are like, that's a big cost. Like there's a lot of surrender. I don't know if I can surrender that much. But listen to what Jesus says four chapters later in the gospel, Luke. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, my mission, for the good news of my coming, whoever's willing to lose their life for me to give up themselves, will save it. 
So as we kind of review the four steps, listening to and hearing the word of God, a great first step, not a great place to camp out in. Uh, surrendering what you own and saying, Jesus, all I have is yours. I'm willing to give. Allowing Jesus to intrude and inconvenience our time and our energy. Maybe I'll go back. Surrender what you own. Here's the interesting thing. I didn't say this earlier, but it's so important. Sometimes we think God wants something from us. It's like, he just wants, he wants my money. I go to church and God just wants my money. No, God doesn't want anything from you in terms of your stuff. He doesn't even care about your stuff in the sense of that he needs it. He doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You know what? Jesus didn't need Peter's boat, did he? If you read the rest of the gospel of Luke, Jesus walked on water lately, later. He didn't need Peter's boat. Why did he want Peter's boat? Why does he want your stuff? Because he wants your heart. And sometimes our stuff gets connected to our heart. And he says, no, no, I want your heart. So extend your stuff to me. So surrender what you own is a, because he doesn't need it. He wants you. Allow Jesus to inconvenience and intrude on your time and energy and then realize who's who and start building Jesus and disciples into others, reproducing yourself as well. So I wanna ask you, not so you can compare, but what is Jesus saying, hey, this is a step for you? Maybe for you, you you've been coming to church, listening in, it's like, ah, there's, there's, there's more. He's asking you to surrender more. Maybe for you, you're like, I don't know, this is my first time. And for you, your next step is simply come again. Listen again. Keep hearing the word of God. Be in a group where you can hear God's word. Maybe for you, you've been, you know, coming to church for like 30 years and you've been tithing, but you never gave of your gifting. And God has given you something so you can serve others. It's time to get out of the pew and serve with the gifting God's given you. For is there some people in your sphere that you need to invest in who don't know Jesus or they know Jesus and it's your job, your opportunity now to walk with them and see them grow in the faith where you become a disciple maker, investing in others, where you start being about the catch living for the vision and mission that Jesus would like you to live for. See, the life of following Jesus is a call to give him more than you currently are. Simply go his way. But that's the surrender, isn't it? But here's an interesting challenge. I like what William Barclay said. He said, for most people, the disaster of life is that they gave up just one effort too soon. And here's the interesting thing in the story of Peter. What if Peter hadn't taken step three? He's on the shore. He's part of the crowd listening in. It hasn't cost him anything. Jesus is like, I want some of your stuff. He's like, you can have some of my stuff. But what if when Jesus asked him to put out and surrender his will and, his, and inconvenience him, if Peter would have said, no, you're crazy. I'm not doing it. What would have Peter missed out on? He would have missed the entire miracle. Not only that miracle, the continuous amounts of miracles that Jesus was gonna do. In fact, Peter would be one who would do miracles. And he would be one of the fathers of the early church to bring this movement, the, the, the kingdom of God, into the world. Imagine what he would have missed out on if he had given up one step too soon. And I wonder in my life, because often it's like, I don't know, Jesus, if I can trust you. Are there miracles we're missing? Because we haven't said yes to the call because of, well, whatever it may be.
What would it look like for you not to miss out on all that God would want to just bless you with in terms of your ministry and your impact as you say yes? You know, Jesus was very, very intentional in saying, don't intend to say yes. Don't say, I I want to say yes. Actually, just say yes and move through it. In Matthew 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does. A life of good intentions doesn't get you anywhere when you come to follow Jesus. He calls us to step in, to be a yes person. A life of following Jesus is a call to give him more than you currently are. What would it look like to take that next step? Maybe another way of saying this. The life of following Jesus is a yes to what he asks of you next. So what's your move? Not what's your sister's move, your wife, the person across the row. As you consider your relationship with Jesus, what's your next move? Maybe if you've seen some of these, and this is often true in my life, because the journey of following Jesus is not linear. It's like, there's things I used to do and follow Jesus in that I've kind of pulled back on. And he's like, I want you to step in and follow me again. And maybe you've gone backwards in your journey of following Jesus. It's like, oh man, I need to, I kind of got burnt out, but I kind of leaned out and it's time for me to lean back in. What would it look like for you to simply take your next move? that he would be calling you to and follow him. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.